Straight out of the heart of Texas, here come the students of conflict, helping you become a better Malifaux player and reach the top of the podium, one game at a time. Here we do interviews with top third finishers from Texas Malifaux tournaments uh, here in the Lone Star Conference of the U.S. Faux Tour with a focus on helping level up all the rest of us that aren't in the top third. We do this really by pulling lessons. We, we really try to take an in-depth look at a single game from each of our guests. We're not trying to capture their entire tournament journey here. We're just trying to pull lessons from single games for them. And uh, I'm Clay, and uh, with me today uh, is Doug. Hello, hello. Yes, I will be here. Not just today. (laughs) But yeah, so hello, I am Doug. I am also one of the students of conflict here. Future Doug here. So normally we would be joined by the Nick Westbrook as well. He had to call out on us last minute for this recording. Uh, I would also like to apologize for any inconsistencies in the audio quality. This was our first recording session to make sure that the format we had in mind worked out, so we did not have the full audio recording setup that we will have for future episodes. Today we're speaking with Jonathan, Jordan, and Andre, who took the podium at the December 10th Lone Star Conference Tournament in Houston. Uh, They ended up placing, uh, we actually got the entire podium, which is cool uh, for this episode, Uh, (laughs) placing the third, second, and then first. And so we are excited to be able to uh, to dive in and ask them some questions. Um, If I could get each of you in turn, um, the factions that you generally play, uh, and then what you played at this particular tournament, um, the round that you're going to be talking about and why, and then uh, uh, we like doing kind of an icebreaker question and so for this one what's the coolest model that you're looking forward to in madness and malifaux uh and why all right uh yeah so um jonathan isles i play too many factions uh currently i'm playing <laughs> arcanist but i also have a lot of uh Rezzer models some neverborn and um some bayou uh my son also plays which is dangerous uh, because we tempt each other into buying more stuff and then uh, don't get to paint it but that's another story so this tournament i was playing arcanist uh, i'm going to be talking about the first round because that was my most normal game of the three. Uh, icebreaker question: uh, coolest new model coming out? I think would have to be Harold Tall because of the cat uh, specifically. Um, he's pretty cool, but the cat is the cat is awesome. The, the cat is almost enough to tempt me into in, into playing guild, which would ordinarily be impossible. So I was just so surprised by the cat; it was just so kind of out of left field that he's just like chilling on his shoulder. That I I, I was just impressed with that artistic take. You're like, we got to do it. So, yeah. so cool. That uh, I also wanted to ask. So, and you were doing Arcanist. That uh, is that. You, are you just doing a big stretch of Arcanist? And this was because uh, I'm used to you playing Rezzers. So, is it Arcanist for this GG, or what's the story there? Uh let's see. What I so they've always been my favorite uh, fluff wise, and um, I, I made a horrible mistake in the summer, and I tried out the the really evil uh, Mayfang Hoffman uh, combo. And I felt bad about it, but I, I, I found out that Mayfang 2 is really fun to play. Um, Hoffman 2 is fun to play. His crew is really versatile. And so and, and then I discovered Sandeep 2 is also fun to play. Marcus 2 is fun to play. So really, the, with the new, the new masters in, in Arcanist, to me, are, are much more interesting than the original version. So it, it's been fun for me playing those. 
Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's worked out okay so far. No, that's great. What we want to do is um, trying to get a good feel for your thought processes as you approach the games before the tournament, um, before the start of the game when you're at the tournament, but you're just sitting down with your opponent. Um, actually during the games and then kind of almost after the games. And so I'm going to start with Jonathan. You picked game one, and so that gives us a good a good starting place. Future Doug here again. I wanted to let you all know that we recorded the interviews for this episode the day before the most recent errata and FAQ was released. So some of the rules mentioned here, particularly in regards to Hoffman, may have changed slightly. Uh, all right, so uh, turn uh, sorry. Round one was corner deployment with carve a path, and the schemes were assassinate, sabotage, hidden martyrs, load them up, and public demonstration. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't take uh, a master like Hoffman two uh, into this pool, um, but I was playing into explorers, and in my experience, uh, a lot of explorer masters run these like death bubbles, and I really don't want anything to do with that. I really don't want to wade into McCabe or um, the Emissary or especially Yedza. And uh, Devin ended up, my opponent Devin ended up taking Yedza. And so my my biggest goal was to not get anywhere close to him for, for, for the majority of the game. And so I was able to achieve that goal. Uh, so I felt successful there. Now, because of that and because he doesn't he didn't want to get laser beamed by Hoffman, it was a very slow game. It was, it was a low-scoring game because we were both trying to avoid each other as much as possible. So we got, like, Ho you're choosing Hoffman because uh, you're facing Explorers. What were some of the other options that you had? And is and I guess as a newer player, would I expect you to just, if, if I'm running Explorers, I should just kind of expect Hoffman? Or, or should I expect Hoffman from you because that was what you had available in your bag? You know, that's a good question. Like, I, I, think, I think Damien would be another good choice uh, as far as, having a ranged threat in, in Arcanist, but I did not want to tread on Andre's quest and, uh, and, and, and dilute <laughs> the power of his, uh, of his platform there with, with my tinkering. I, I haven't got too many games in with him just because there's so much, uh, flat going around. It just, it feels bad to play him. Uh, but you know, it is it, definitely an option. I, I think Arcanists have a lot of good movement tricks, but they don't have a lot of good, uh, range combat abilities just, just as far as, you know, my, my experiences go. So, um, ordinarily, I think with a pool like this, Sand Deep 2 is an easy one to get Lodum up on because he can throw out whatever markers he wants to at ease. Um, and a lot of the other masters have better choices for public demonstration. For, for Hoffman, with me, it's hard to pick models that are seven stones or less just because they don't give me as much bang for my buck. I think if you're going into Assassinate, I, I think I think Hoffman's a good choice uh, for that because of laser beams. So Yeah, and that makes sense. And so as you're looking at the crew specifically, um, what did you end up taking? Did you take kind of a standard Hoffman crew or did you tweak it around? So I took, I guess, a, a crew that's standard for me. I don't know if it's like internet standard. Um, I got I got a couple like strange looks at the tournament like, oh, you dummy. Like, what are you, what are you doing? But um, yeah, so I, I took Hoffman and his uh, mech attendant, uh, Melissa Core, just because she has a big six damage gun. Uh, Peacekeeper, because he kills things and he's hard to kill. Um, Hunter, uh, because of, of the mobility, just trying to get across the board. It was corner deployment. And uh, trying to get sabotage, I felt like I needed some extra movement. And uh, it also has a nice uh, stat six gun. Uh, took the mobile toolkit for buffs and healing. Uh, Soulstone Miner, again, because it's corner and I was trying to go for sabotage. That gives me like another, uh, you know, plan B for, for getting those markers down. And then I took a Union Steam Fitter uh, just for the, the extra card with magical training. And they can, they can drop scheme markers at will by pitching cards. Um, or, or eating scrap, I think. So that, that was just another kind of like plan B mentality 
Um, and, and with the Union Steam Fitter, as far as, you know, healing goes, it's an automatic. I don't have to worry about a flip. Uh, it's an automatic, you know, two, two health heal, which kind of comes in clutch. And he can burn power tokens to make his melee like three or five inches, whatever you need to really, um, you know, get in there if you're in super danger. So looking at that crew for you, relatively standard, um, any terrain considerations, any considerations on looking at Jetsa, thinking about Jetsa 1 versus Jetsa 2, any, any of those kind of considerations are not so much that you picked Hoffman because you're going against Jetsa and you're going to be able to kill the bubble. I was not at all trying to kill the bubble. Avoid the bubble, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was trying to, like, Hoffman likes to kill stuff, so I was definitely trying to kill stuff. And attempting to kill stuff was, in my mind, hopefully trying to um, distract Yetza and keep her healing things rather than trying to go after my scheme runners. I was pretty successful with that as well. On, on that board specifically, uh, my opponent, Devin, he was able to hide a lot of his crew, either firstly behind a forest and then behind this nice, cute wall. So it was difficult to get some attacks in before probably round round three. Was he playing Yedza one or two? Uh, Yedza one. I feel like Yedza two is probably more dangerous um, going into Hoffman just because of the irreducible damage and punching stuff through markers. Like being punched through your own pylons feels real bad. But again, because he was running Yedza one and her little you know death bubble thing, I was able to get up to seven pylons uh, before he was able to start kicking kicking them over with the uh, with the carbopath markers. So I, I was I was never in real danger of losing my uh, you know, full damage potential there. Yeah, that makes good sense. Um, as you're looking at his crew, kind of once uh, once you'd both selected crews and you're looking at that, what were you thinking? Did that make any changes in your game plan or was did, did you just feel, you felt very, very even more comfortable with your game plan at that point? Uh, yeah, so he, he took um, more Wraith, Surveyor, Austerian Twig, uh, the Dam, Tannenbaum, and uh, Mikhail. Uh, so him taking Tannenbaum was kind of nice because I knew that I should just use all my cards anyway. I didn't I didn't worry about saving stuff, so that was that was kind of freeing. Um, you know, I knew he was going to be scheming with the damned. Um, for whatever reason, it's always fun to try to take out Ostera. But um, you know, I, I don't know. He he did not take a Grave Goo, um, which is you know that that guy's pretty dangerous. But I, I think overall it was a pretty balanced crew. Um, it was just a little bit slower, especially with the corner deployment. So it was hard for him to get the markers on on my side of the board. Uh, that that makes sense. That uh, kind of before we launch into the game, I'm I'm looking at uh, Jordan or, or Andre or Doug. If you got any questions or or thoughts on kind of what Jonathan had or what he was facing, because you said you were going into assassinate that you like uh, using Hoffman for assassinate because you know he murders stuff, right? How durable do you find Hoffman to be? Now, I know he's got the armor too, and he's got the ability to gain shielded. Do you find him that he goes down easily if he's focused on, or that he ends up being fairly durable? He, he can definitely be killed. Um, but I, I think with having three healers in the crew, especially with them being so cheap, uh, it, it's easy to keep him alive. Um, especially if you can stone for, you know, uh, you know neg flips or, uh, you know, damage reduction. It helps that he doesn't really have to enter melee if he doesn't want to. Right, and like I definitely to... didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Although at the points when I came around, you were, you know, grabbing people with your power claw. Yeah, yeah. At that point I had, um, you know, it was, it was nearing the close of the game, so I was able to charge in and, and grab Mikhail just because I knew I had the cards. I grabbed him and moved him out of the heal bubble. At that point, I had—I think I killed the surveyor like three times. <laughs> you know, I—I'd I, <laughs> already killed Mikhail once, and I was just—I was really hoping to take him down. So, you know, because of that, I was, I was able to kill the more Wraith and Mikhail in the same turn. 
um, which didn't allow Devin to get any of his hidden martyrs points because I killed both of his hidden, hidden martyrs targets in the in, in the same turn. So in that case, the, the claw was was kind of clutch. Going into that game, were you more like in your mind about the fact that Jetzel One could remove your markers, or were you more concerned about the potential of irreducible coming out of Jetzel Two? I, I think the irreducible is, is is much more dangerous because again, like especially in that pool, I wasn't I wasn't going to try to assassinate yet, so that seems foolish. Um, so if my markers got eaten, it's not that big of a deal. I can still punch people with a claw, um, and and there's still a lot of damage output with uh, you know Melissa and with the Peacekeeper. So I, I didn't really need it, um, but if if you got a four damage lightning bolt, you know you know use it while you can. So that yeah, makes good sense. So could you go through some of the Key decision points, whether it's on the table or sometimes it's just in your control hand, uh, key decisions that you're having to make throughout the game. I would love to hear about some of that. One early uh, decision point is which schemes did you end up selecting out of the pool? Okay, yeah, so that's a great question. So I ended up going with uh, Hidden Martyrs myself, which was uh, a horrible mistake uh, in hindsight, and then I picked Sabotage um, just because uh, I didn't I, I didn't think I'd would consistently be able to do load em up. That seemed pretty dangerous. And again, doing load em up, load em up with Hoffman meant that I was getting too close to Yedza's crew. I didn't have the models in that keyword to do public demo, and it's virtually impossible to kill Yedza. So I, 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 those were kind of like my only two options. And that's cool. Did you find that? Um, you know, you mentioned at one point just you know seven pylons that you were able to get out there before the the markers came through. Were those on your side of the board, or were you able to get them onto the other side of the board? You know, was that was that one of those things that you were kind of threatened, even though you hadn't taken it? Yeah, I probably should have tried to do that a little bit, but I I just had a happy little forest of pylons on my side. Um, you know, again, t- trying to keep them away, and and just I I basically just ended up bulldozing back and forth with Hoffman each turn, trying to get some shots off and. You know, by doing that, I was adding pylons. So by the time he started kicking, I still had, you know, enough to spare that I wasn't worried about losing, uh, you know, damage potential. Yeah. So what was the most interesting lines of play during the game? I think Devin was really smart. He, you know, he came out with a Saren twig and dropped a scheme marker and then ran away behind a forest. He, um, you know, he he did really good with his um, bubble and getting all his buffs and making sure Yedza had her life tokens from Sophie and. Um, you know, he, he made sure he wasn't exposed. You know, he kept the dam behind a wall. He didn't go all out and he was just making sure he was getting his markers kicked over because of the range damage potential. I was able to remove some of his pieces and by, by the final rounds, I just had more activations than he did. And so I was able to, you know, deny him his sabotage points just by running the steam fitter back and standing by his scheme markers. Um, and because I was moving my pylons around for, for so long, I had pretty much scheme markers all over my half of the board. So it would have been difficult for him to get the second point of sabotage as well, just because I had you know ski markers sitting around just waiting. So you mentioned that martyrs was a mistake. Uh, you want to talk about that a little? Well, I foolishly took uh, martyrs on the hunter and um, my mech attendant, and uh, you know I, I tried to bait the dam with the mech attendant a couple times. I tried to pretend like I was defending the uh, the strap marker, but he didn't he didn't bite at all. I guess I guess the the, the threat of laser beams was too too high, so he just kind of left him alone. And then I kept thinking that he would come and, and try to stop me from getting sabotage up in the corner, um, but I, th- I think he was too busy with other things. He was probably too, too concerned with getting his own schemes done that he, he, he kind of left the hunter alone as well. We ran out of time, round four. If we'd gone to a turn five, I think things may have gone differently. Um, you know, I, I could have tried to come in with the hunter uh, and harass him or vice versa with the mech attendant, but I, I don't think um, you know, even that would have gone as planned. Because I killed Mikhail... There was no one else with a higher cost than the hunter. 
uh, yet it doesn't have a melee range, so there was no way to get that second point on, on Hidden Martyrs. Yeah. This is one of those deals where it's uh, uh, it, it's going to be a question for all three of you guys, and we might as well hit it right now, is playing against, you know, I, I, I am absolutely a lower third player, you know, doing my best to break into the into the middle third, but uh, but I am still slow. And so you guys can almost always, you know, if you're going to not finish a game, it's going to be because of your opponent in many, many cases. Um, not always, certainly not always, um, but in many, many cases. And so I would love to hear thoughts that you've got on that, like what we should do, we as, you know, lower tier players slowing you down, how, 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 how to play faster, um, how to not frustrate you during a game, um, and, and you guys are, I, I have played against all three of you guys, and, and you are the most gracious people I've ever met, I think. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I would love just any thoughts that you got on, on how to be as good an opponent as possible uh, when it's round one and you end up matched against somebody that is, is not, at, frankly, at, at, at your level as a player. Well, I, I think I think with any game, it's important to think about what you what you want to do next when it's somebody else's turn, so that they're not waiting around, you know, um, for you to think on, on your turn. I know we've probably all been in a big group game where it just drags on and on because someone is not not thinking thinking ahead of time. So I think having your plan A and your plan B um, in your mind makes things go a lot faster. Um, but you know, I, I still get stymied if something really weird happens. Sometimes your whole plan falls apart and you have to kind of go. You know, go back to square one. But yeah, I think just just trying to think ahead about what what you want to do before it's actually your turn will help out a lot. I would also say that there is something to be said, and it sounds so like edge lordy intense, you know. <laughs> but it's like it's like remember your training is really my <laughs> thought process behind it. Where it's like, okay, I've done my unpack for this crew a yeah. dozen times. I know how it's going to go. Um, I know if I black this particular flip that I know that I can compensate for this. And so it kind of all comes back into your you're your drawing upon a wealth of, of combat data for this particular crew to be able to be like, all right, cool. I know what this does. I know where I'm going to do uh, this particular move. And it all comes together to make your play very quick because yeah. you don't have to think about it. It's just like, all right, cool. I see that. I see that dude. He's at this range. I don't want to be in that range. I move out. I don't have to think about it. I'm just going to move out. Um, and so a lot of that comes down to uh, just getting the reps in uh, yeah. and beyond that uh, being not afraid to make snap decisions um, because at the end of the day if you want to be a better player you have to be willing to lose the battle to win the war um, right. and so if you take if you take the uh, accepted casualty of maybe not making the most optimal decision every time but being able to have made a decision oftentimes that's going to help you get at, get better at being a player much much faster than right. spending five minutes agonizing over this next activation. And I often I often see newer players a lot of the times. I, I know what I would do when they do it, and they almost do it, and then talk themselves out of it. Mm, yeah. That happens so many times. You're like, you should do that. Oh, that guy's going to screw me up. I'm so dead. And then he does something else or something way over on the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, okay, sure, that was <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, that is fantastic here, though, just that there's a number of times where our first instincts are in fact correct and we should just go with them and don't second guess ourselves. That's fantastic. And I think that happens a lot to, to mid tier players as well. Cause a lot of times, especially when they're trying to get into that really high tier, they overthink things. They, especially if you've gotten a few games with, with one person, you know what they can do yeah. to a certain extent and you know what they should do. And then you're like, but if I do all this stuff and they're like, no, 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 do, do what's done before. 
it'll probably work. If it worked before, it'll probably work again. <laughs> it might work again, yeah. Alternatively, just in general, if you can do something that requires you not to flip well, or not flip at all, do that. Keep <laughs> <laughs> it simple. It might not be the optimal choice. If you flip a king here, it'll be fantastic, and then you just don't, especially if you don't cards at hand, then it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Don't hesitate when you're playing against uh, me or other newer players to be reminding us to just pick up just make a decision just you know hey why don't you just activate somebody you know or whatever like don't hesitate ever to push us along a little bit um because it's also important that in to finish games that that's good practice for us it's important for us to just pick models and go it's important for for you to get the differential that you deserve you know um i mean really one one little thing on this uh as far because you're talking about with uh, the clock there as a new player uh, or as an experienced player going against an unknown entity. So let's say you're going into a, you're going into Gen Con, you're going to Nova, you're going to a tournament on the road, and you're playing against someone who you have no clue what their skill level is. So you have no clue if they're going to be a fast player or a slow player. Or if you're a new player and you know you're playing a little bit slow still, picking your schemes that you know you're going to be able to score, get those two points off of your schemes, and you know... Mm -hmm. I get my point, you know, first point, turn two, and I can be set up to score the second point, turn three. Now, it's not possible in every scheme and in every pool, but taking a look at the schemes and going, hey, I'm going to be able to score these in a short game really informs uh, what you're going into. I mean, that's even advice that an experienced player can take. It's like, hey, I don't know if Jimmy Rando here is brand new or if he's, you know, the top player in in his meta. You don't know until the game gets going. And that's a, at that point, it's too late to change your schemes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I would say uh, definitely, like, if, if you know what this, the strat pool is ahead of time, go ahead and pick your crews. Uh, you know, ha have them saved. If you if you don't have a mat yet, I would I would go out and buy a mat with the, with the markings on it and measure stuff out and make sure your crew can actually do what you want it to do. And then you have your standard crew. If you want to tweak it, that's fine. But then you at least know what schemes you're going to try to attempt. And so th that that level of static is, is taken out of the equation. And you can really just concentrate on on playing the best game you can with, with, with your game plan. Yeah, that makes good sense. So all great advice for uh, for newer players, uh, for, for what I kind of just keep calling the you know bottom third in a, in a tournament kind of situation. Um, how about for middle tier, uh, middle third players? Um, yeah. People that, that realistically are hoping to, to you know, maybe win, actually, and, and at least offer you a challenging game. Uh, what kind of advice would you have given out of, out of your first game, Jonathan, uh, here uh, for a, a middle third player? I would say do your homework. I have, I have what I call my old man notes. Like there's no way that I can remember everything about all the crews. But if I write down certain keywords and things to, to remember, then I can make sure that I tune my crew for the, the, the master that I'm facing so that I don't get myself into a bad situation or at least not, not into a horrible situation. Um, it just helps me kind of keep focused and not get too trapped in my own head and my own game plan because really – um, you know, your, your game plan is not going to go off the way that you want it to because there's another player, uh, you know, across from you and they're trying to stop you from doing what you want to do. So I, I think I think planning ahead, taking notes is incredibly helpful if you want to get up to the, you know, the next higher uh, level of play. No, that's cool. Um, and then how about for for 
for top third players. You know, if you're looking at uh, at yourself, what do you wish you'd done different in the game? Um, and uh, or, or what did you learn out of this particular game? I took the wrong uh, martyrs for hidden martyrs. Uh, mm. Number one, uh, two, like don't ever choose the same model for multiple schemes. Uh, that seems to be a, a a disaster, and I made that mistake. Um, and three, and a huge uh, props to Devin. I picked actually an, an invalid sabotage target uh, because it was it, it was a diagonal um, a deployment. I, I picked a, a piece of terrain that I thought was way far away from the center line, and it actually wasn't. And so I, I told Devin like round three, oh man, this is not going to work. And he was he was a total gentleman. He said, okay, just pick something else. So I tried to repay the favor, and I told him the exact piece of train that I was going for. Okay. Uh, but still, just like you know, be be extra careful when you're picking this stuff. Uh, and and I won a couple games recently um, where, where the opponent has not, you know, read the schemes correctly or the strats correctly, and they and they mess something up. So just. Go back and check your schemes throughout the game to make sure that you're not doing anything stupid. That is really good advice. And it's also very heartening to me to hear that you made that mistake. So thank you for sharing that for one thing. But uh, no, that makes me feel better. No, that's awesome. (laughs) Rereading the schemes is one of those things that's important for experienced players too. Especially because, I mean, gaining grounds three, a season three, we've had it for a couple of months. But there's still times where I'm Mm -hmm. like, right, how exactly is that worded? It's like, wait, which ones did they change? Which ones did they not change? Because Hidden Martyrs, they changed right. that one. It just used to have to be one dies, the other one survives. Now it's the one dies, and then the other one has to be all like, hi! <laughs> <laughs> and so right. that um, I forget about that. And like, oh, shit. And I, I always, at the end of the game, like it was trying to run away. It's like, oh, shit, no, I got to book back over there. Shit. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like three schemes where the second point is like, almost the same like hidden martyrs public demonstration i think it was and uh catch yeah. release like they all have almost that they have like similar second points but they're all different like one you have to get real close one you have to be unengaged right. the other one i don't remember the uh, last one they have to be i think it's a master enhancement to be at half health like they're they're all kind of the same to be fair i'm not sure i've ever actually taken public demonstrations because a lot of times i end up playing crews where there are not enough legal models for it yeah, 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 a bit of a tell there for sure, but uh, <laughs> but uh, cool. Alrighty, uh, we're gonna take a short break. Uh, unless any other questions for Jonathan before we wrap up here? How are you doing today, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> doing so good. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, such a blast just to get to talk with you guys. Appreciate it. All right. So, well, thank you all for sticking with us. That uh, we got any parting thoughts from uh, any of our guests here? No, we got nothing but quietness because we are done. So we'll edit it. (laughs) We have covered everything. We have exhaustively learned everything there is to learn about Malifaux. And we're done. We never need to The final podcast of all time (laughs) is this one. You know, no other podcast. Yeah, exactly. It is the be all end all of Malifaux podcast. It only took about two hours. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I always have to sign off saying that I will continue to be in Nikimistan <laughs> until I'm dead. Long may the God Empress reign, but it's uh yeah. It's uh, about long live the Queen, though, man. Long live the Queen. I respect it. I respect it, Tanya. Uh, fealty will feel where fealty so cool. is due, bro. I'll go. write about it in my newspaper. <laughs> All right, I guys, appreciate it. It was really fun. Thanks Thank so, much. You so much. Yep, appreciate y'all. Thanks for setting this up. Goodbye, everybody. 
Students of Conflict is brought to you by Top Dog Design. Check out topdogdesign.com for all of your Malifaux terrain needs. Top Dog Design, 3D printable designs to enhance your tabletop. Students of Conflict is not an official product of Weird Miniatures LLC. All intellectual property belonging to Weird Miniatures is used with permission. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of entities they represent. Any content provided by our guests and or hosts are their opinion and not intended to malign any group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Woo! Learn your lessons. Slow play the podcast. Call the TO over. Now recording. Okay. <laughs>